3: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach, and explain to you why days like today can happen. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Turns out, get this, turns out inflation was all about logistics. We caught a real break today with a much lower than expected consumer price index number. And a huge part of that came down to how much it costs to get goods to the consumer from here to Here. And that's how the Dow skyrocketed 1,201 points, S&P surged 5.5 percent, and the Nasdaq roared 7.35 percent. Because lower inflation means the Fed won't need to raise interest rates as aggressively as it may have thought it needed to. Logistics is the art of getting goods where they need to go. And unfortunately, though a boring topic, supply chain disruptions have really been the biggest source of inflation since the pandemic got rolling. And finally, they are peaking, and that's definitive, and it's huge. That's what the day was really about. After all, why would the Fed need to keep tightening ever harder if the root cause of inflation, moving stuff from place to place, is finally going in the right direction? I know it's hard to equate this magnificent rally with something as prosaic as the freight business, but they go hand in hand. When you look at all the positives that went down, if you check them all, down, check them all off with today's CPI reading, you come back knowing that it, it was just hard to move goods around. I mean, maybe people were tired. We had a shortage of equipment. These shortages then led to vastly inflated prices to you, the consumer. And those are peaking. <clears throat> Of course, you can't point to the Nasdaq up more than 7% and say, well, that's all about getting our supply chain house in order. All right. Many of these tech companies have barely any transportation costs. But you see, the Nasdaq runs on lower interest rates. Same way, say, like America runs on Duncan. When inflation cools, interest rates go lower, as they did. They went down huge today. House of pleasure. Plus, inflation erodes the purchasing power of your dollars, your future dollars, which makes long-term growth stories less attractive. There's a lot of those in the NASDAQ, ain't there? So a good CPI causes money to flood into the most aggressive tech stocks, including the cloud plays, the conceptual names that are far from turning a profit, and, of course, fabulous stocks like Apple, which you were supposed to sell, right? Didn't all those analysts say sell it? I forget. Sell it, trade it, short it. What were they saying? Get rid of it. That's right. Now, we know the cloud stocks have been awful performers, right? That's in part because they're all jammed together in some ETFs that a lot of brokers like to make money off of. But today, the ETFs pressure allowed the cloud players to soar. Of course, the banks do well here, too, because if the Fed can keep rates this high but not this much higher, these companies can make fortunes off your deposits while facing not that many defaults. Remember, here's something I learned when I went to economics at Harvard. Remember, the banks pay you next to nothing for your deposits, then turn around and invest it at 4.3% in the two-year treasury. Do the math. They get 4, 3, 4.3%. And this is something I learned in economics class you get bubkiss. I got an A. But let's go back to the original thesis. When inflation really was started to roar, it was the consumer, right? at The consumer, level. not really so much at the producer level, although obviously fertilizer went up because of Ukraine and oil went up because of Ukraine. And how much do you hate the Russians? I mean, seriously. Very few people saw this thing coming, though, aside from, say a wise man, a wise man in Seattle, and that wise man's name is Rich Galanted. He's the CFO of Costco. By the way, if you read his excellent conference calls, he was adamant that logistics was the big battleground. Specifically, shipping and trucking. Not something I heard from many other chief financial officers. There just weren't enough ships to bring the goods we needed from overseas. The ports were jammed, not enough truckers, all this stuff. Turns out the port situation mostly came uh, down to labor unions taking advantage of the situation. Hey, what the heck? Bankers took advantage in 2008. Hey, these guys got the long and got their shot. They took it. More importantly, though, there weren't enough ships. So what did Costco do? It created its own armada, both to ensure they got their own goods, but also because they wanted to know the true cost of moving this stuff. Costco is now busy demanding that any price increase is based on something that went way up during this period but not coming down. Uh-uh. Take it down, because they work for the customers. It's why the Chapel Trust owns a ton of the stock of Costco. Of course, the decline in oil prices month over month also helped bring the CPI down, even as the war in Ukraine has been a real sticking point year over year. Same with natural gas. That came down a tad, too. But to get to the real reason why we may be in better shape on inflation, you need to just look at a freight company, a freight company called C.H. Robinson. Oh, I saw you yawn, you son of This is a huge business. So don't go and say, uh, who cares about C.H. Robinson? It's got $28 billion in freight under management. How much freight do you have under management? And more than $20 billion in annual revenue. Make it one of the top shipping companies out there. It's a big deal. And because you don't care, I'm going to do a little shock. Ha! Woke you up. And at the height of the pandemic, C.H. Robinson was one of the main choke points in the global supply chain crisis. They needed more trucks, more drivers, more fuel. So the cost of everything went up and they had to pass it on to the, the, to the uh, people, say, at a the store. then had to pass it on to you. The company struggled to meet demand. They weren't a bad actor. So did its competitors. It got to the point where those giant sleeper trucks went from $30,000 for the pandemic to $120,000. It's height because there was such a shortage. Meanwhile, too many drivers retired, so they had to bid up the price of the ones who were mating and teach others. C.H. Robinson figured that we might see a peak in the cycle sometime in 2023 or 2024, according to their October uh, fact sheet, which is excellent if you go to their website. Turned out, it happened immediately. So quickly that today we learned that they may have to lay off lots of mostly white-collar workers because the slowdown happened that soon. You know what? I want to conclude. You know what I want to conclude? Like they're paying attention to me because of the CHY. You know what I'd like to conclude? That October was a very weak month in this country. That's right. October is going to go down. When we look back at this period, we're going to say, holy cow, October's when it started. That's when the slowdown started. Oh, and the sleeper trucks, they aren't back down to 30,000 yet, but they're at 65,000. Okay, almost in half. The price of diesel's come down a lot too. Sage Robinson can't charge as much when these costs go down. That's where the big deflation gain really kicks in. And let me tell you something that's coming. What else? We know apparel's coming down as the retail situation look very promotional as we head into the holidays. That means you're gonna get some really great buys at Ollie's, I'm a member of the army, or Kramer fave TJX, it's in the Charitable Trust. The latter's a huge source of lower prices. Remember that anything that gets moved from the distribution center of clothes to the TJX store costs less. That's why you may not see it, but there's be a subtle rollback. How sustainable is this? Lots of analysts have been waiting for a day like today to downgrade their favorite stocks. I do expect negativity tomorrow about the semis, the software companies, the cloud. Somebody going to say something bad about Apple. I bet we'll get the usual downgrades from the people who don't have any guts. Again, Apple. But the bottom line, what matters is the choke rope of inflation may finally be loosening or at least fraying just when we least expect it all on a day when some crypto clown named Sam Bankman-Fried right out of The Simpsons was supposed to crush the entire market with his 15 minutes of ill-fated infamy. Let's go to Brian in Connecticut. Brian. Hey, Jim, how are you? Brian, couldn't be better. How about you? Good, thank you. Long-time caller, first-time listener. Quick shout-out to my sister, Sheena Bass. We are members, and we love you. Oh, man, they're members of the club. We want club members. What's up? How you doing, Jim? Calling about the stock Unity. Will the effects of the universe have a ripple effect? Ugh. Okay, listen to me and listen good. This Unity is not a good stock. Not a good company. It's just a good stock today. Let it go up another three, four points, and then we say goodbye. All right, listen. To me. The choke rope of inflation may finally be loosing or at least fraying just when we least expect it. May I tell you, a special Veterans Day show. What can the Navy teach Wall Street about leadership? I'm sitting down with the Secretary of the Navy and learning some important lessons. Then Campbell's Soup mm-mm, CEO Mark Klaus. He knows how the military service can aid in making some smart business decisions. And I'm hearing more about his service has made him a stronger leader. Plus, Goldman Sachs has always been on the forefront of veteran hiring. So don't miss my exclusive with CEO David Solomon from the company's headquarters in North City to hear how the bank is continuing to lead the charge. So stay with Kramer.
4: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer, hashtag madtweets.
0: visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
3: It's true. We live in a far more dangerous world than at any point since the end of the Cold War. That does matter for the stock market. We've had a land war in Eastern Europe. Who would have thought that It's nine months? Maybe worse, we have the real prospect that China might invade Taiwan. Hasn't happened yet because we've got the best Navy in the world. But the Chinese are indeed trying to catch up. That's why we were thrilled to speak with the Honorable Carlos del Toro, the U.S. Secretary of the Navy, about some of the biggest threats out there on the eve of Veterans Day. Take a look. Mr. Secretary, uh, welcome back to New York, I should say. Uh, This is a very special day for the Navy, isn't it? It's a special day for the Navy. It's
1: a special day for the Marine Corps. We're celebrating 247 years of the Marine Corps, so happy birthday, Marines, here in the U.S. and all around the world. People,
3: my dad was in the Army, and he had nine so-called hot landings in the Pacific. And he told me, he said, never forget, the Marines were always there before us. That is the reputation of the Marine Corps, isn't it? Well, they're the
1: 911 force of our nation, and when the president calls, they're there to serve.
3: Now, uh, when the president called, you you came to serve, you have business uh, experience. So I wanted to ask you, uh, we don't get enough veterans working in where we are. What should we all do about this? It's, uh, It's a real issue. Sure. Well, don't
1: try to recruit active duty uh, <laughs> no, we you know, sailors and Marines We're to come work. That.
3: But, you know, I think
1: after they transition out of the military, I think it's a logical place for them to come. Now, the leadership skills that you pick up in the Navy and in the Marine Corps are essential to you know, society in so many different ways. And it's no different to Wall Street. They build skill sets, both subject matter expertise and the fundamental leadership skills that they have are essential to Wall Street.
3: Yeah, we desperately need them. Now, let me ask you something. We're a very tough time with our country. We've got an active war, land war, uh, not that far from Western allies. Obviously, uh, we've got China as a punitive enemy, basically trying to do things that we can't. We must stop. I oftentimes think that the Navy is what stands between, say, China and Taiwan, and the Navy is the way to project power in an area where Russia seems to want to do things that we don't want. This is a stretch situation. How can you meet all these f- threats?
1: Well, you're absolutely right, Jim. And the Navy and the Marine Corps actually are the deterrent force for our country. And our job is to maintain the open sea lanes of communication, so that we can actually have peace throughout the world and we can deter our adversaries from uh, violating our international norms of behavior and so that we can have peace and stability, so that we can have stable economies, free trade, so we can uplift all economies from around the world.
3: Where is the Navy allowed to go? And the reason I mention this is because in 2016, President Xi promised President Obama that he would not go south, deep into the South China Sea, and then immediately broke his promise. But we're reluctant, obviously, to have a naval confrontation with them. But if they were capable of doing that, then why aren't they capable of challenging Taiwan, which is a great American ally?
1: Well, you hope that President Xi actually won't challenge Taiwan, obviously. It would be detrimental to their own economy. It would be detrimental to the global economy. President Xi is a smart man, and I hope he doesn't go down that path. And what our job is in the Department of the Navy, the Navy and the Marine Corps, is to make it clear that the cost of doing so would be extremely high and detrimental to the Chinese economy, detrimental to his own regime. And so that's our job, to provide ready combat forces, basically, to our combat commanders to be able to deter China, Russia, or any other adversary from not following the norms of international behavior.
3: Now, we are a great nation, and a great nation means also that we have civilians who lead the military. That's the way it works. So uh, you may say, tell the president, we could go into the Black Sea, and we could project power there. But the president is the one who can say, listen, that's too provocative. What, uh, to what level would you take it to the mat if you felt that there was something you could do in uh, Ukraine versus Russia?
1: Well, I think as uh, Secretary of the Navy, it's important for me to provide my best advice to the Secretary of Defense, who then provides his best advice to the President of the United States. And so every day we think about tactics and operations and strategy. And we make very informed matured stable decisions to advise the secretary of defense who then advises the president on the right course of action whether it be in ukraine or whether it be in china but again our job is to deter from conflict from occurring and that's what we're most focused on
3: are you being given what you need are you being given the right technology i often hear now that the only way, area that we're that we're superior in is submarines i have to believe that if you're given the right technology our our navy is the
1: best in the world well our navy is the best in the world and actually we make investments here in the united states and our commander in chief president Biden, actually has a military budget that's three times the size of that of uh, china and ten times the size of just about any other nation in the world including russia and so we're making tough choices with the right technological investments such as unmanned technology for example to try to bring to bear the asymmetric you know, tactics and oper- concepts of operations that are necessary to again deter our adversaries from doing what they want to do.
3: But what happens if it turns out that we have in our ships Chinese-made parts that are not what we need? Right. Uh, and, and should we be concerned? Should we rip them out?
1: We should always be concerned about and actually that takes discipline to ensure that our industrial base is actually not buying right. Chinese technology and implementing them and the products that they sell to the Department of Defense. So we go to great lengths to try to prevent that from happening. Good.
3: Last thing I need to know. uh, I want people to hire veterans. So do you. What is the best way for people to communicate and get your best, or help train people who didn't get the training yet uh, in the Navy? And it and starts tomorrow. What do we tell these people tomorrow who need to hire
1: vets? Well, you couldn't hire a better employee. That vet. Male or female is going to show up on time. They're going to be dedicated. They understand what perseverance is all about. And they've been challenged throughout their entire military career with many circumstances that sometimes don't have clear answers. And so they know how to think. They know how to think strategically to solve the problems that you have in the private sector, whatever the size of your company, small, medium or large. And if I could just say one other thing, Jim, I want to thank the American people for their support of our Navy Marine Corps team. We need them to continue to do that and to support us in our recruiting efforts and our efforts to retain more of the service members in the Navy Marine Corps team. And
3: you and I are old enough to know that that wasn't always the case. So I'm grateful. I'm grateful for what you're doing and for everyone who serves with you. Secretary of Navy, Carlos Del Toro. It was a delight to interview, sir. Thanks, Thank, you. So much, Thank
1: Jim. you. Great to be here
4: with you. Coming up, a shining opportunity to dig deep into the financials. Kramer goes one-on-one with Goldman Sachs. Next.
2: The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the All-Electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.
0: Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business.
3: explosive day in the market. Who better to sit down with than the CEO of Goldman Sachs, David Solomon. He also had some very compelling things to say about hiring veterans. And I was able to emcee a fascinating session where I saw young people at the firm pitching ideas to make the world a better place. Take a look. David, everybody wants your, your view on what's going on in the world. I want to do two things before we get to that. One, I just saw young people do amazing things for causes who work at Goldman. I worked at Goldman, we did not do that back then. And then second, I want to congratulate you for hiring as many veterans you did. It's always been important. It's where I met my first veteran other than my dad. These are great things. The culture is quite different from when I worked here.
5: Well, we're uh, first of all, super proud of what you just saw, our Analyst Impact Fund, where we have thousands of analysts from around the world competing to champion causes they believe in. And then the partners philanthropically support those causes and give out awards, you know, based on presentations they make. And as you just saw, Jim, the presentations were just extraordinary, really extraordinary. It makes me proud. And and as I said, you know, when I see, you know, these young colleagues, you know, so energized by these things and just the way they present and their intellectual, um, you know, rigor and engagement just makes me proud and very sure that this firm is on the right track.
3: Well, there's no doubt about it. No, I, I am blown away because I know when I was here, yes, it was a different time, and I was poor, consumed with trying to do well in a money way and then do well after, and you make them do well now. Really. They want to do well now, and you let them. So with that, let's talk about last time I saw you. The times were a little different from this morning. This morning, we got what I felt as the first hope, perhaps, that maybe inflation's peaking because you were concerned. You were very concerned when we sat down here that perhaps the things were going to get very tough, the Fed was going to have to get very tight, and you wouldn't be able to have the full complement of people get to the other
5: side. Where are we? Well, I think that today's, today's, uh, today's print certainly is, is a you know, positive sign in the journey that the economic tightening that the Fed's been exercising is starting to have an impact. And I think one of the things that's going to be important to hear is to watch some data. We've tightened economic conditions materially and start to get a sense of where are the declines? I looked at the information quickly. I've right. been with you right. for the last two <laughs> hours, you. so I haven't, I haven't had a chance to really look through it and really understand you know, what, really, what really changed in the CPI data that led to that print. But it was certainly better than expected. Right. The markets reacted very positively to it. And so you know, now we'll have other data points over the course of the next few months And obviously, the Fed's trajectory from here will be very tied to what additional data points come from here.
3: It's good that if they are data dependent, it's a good piece of data. It's a good piece of data. When we sat here, you said something, and a lot of people didn't believe you. You said, look, if we have underperforming units, we have the ability. You said we have levers to make better numbers. Well darn it you did exactly that and you produced better numbers uh, is, this some, is this an event where are you assessing at all times as some firms are that you may need to let more people go Well're
5: we're always're always, we're always we, we like to take a long-term view on how we run the business and we, um, we are investing in a number of businesses we're investing in our asset management business and wealth business platform in particular we continue to invest to strengthen our core our core business. And I think we've got the firm in a reasonable position. If the economic environment got tougher, we'd look at the facts and circumstances and make judgments accordingly. But I feel good about where the firm is, and I feel particularly good about the firm's performance, Jim. I feel good about the firm's performance in what is certainly a tougher operating environment than we'd like to see. Not a lot of capital markets activity, very little equity issuance, um, no question from an investment perspective, investment returns have been constrained. And so it's a challenging operating environment, but I feel like our business is broad, diverse, global. We're doing really well with our clients. And as long as we're focused on our clients and serving our clients well, our relative performance will continue to be strong.
3: Do you think that are there companies that are ready to come public if we do, if days like today continue?
5: There's always a backlog of companies that need to go public. I think what we're going through at the moment is a reset of valuation expectations. And that takes some time. We're, you know, we're three quarters in to a more difficult capital markets environment. History would tell you three, four, five, six quarters, you get that readjustment. I think we're going to reach a point in 2023 where people that need to get public, that need to raise capital are going to accept the reset valuation levels and then that's, but it hasn't happened yet, but it's coming. You know, I think we'll see that in the coming months. We'll see a little bit of a reopening in the capital markets when people get used to this valuation adjustment.
3: Now, we just had an election, and a lot of people feel that elections change things. The one thing they don't is that there are agencies, and there are agencies that are very powerful in this administration, including the FTC and the Assistant Attorney General, Jonathan Canner, Justice Department. Do you tell people, look, this is not the time to merge because these deals will be blocked? What advice do you give people, given the fact that these agencies seem to be anti-merger, pro-competition to a point that I think you and I may think is extreme?
5: Well, I don't think the election, this election, changes the current tone um, around, um, around the regulatory environment broadly, and particularly with respect to the scrutiny that merger transactions are going to receive, particularly in certain industries. Uh, we don't tell people don't merge, but I do think that all companies and all boards that are considering something, you know, very transformative, very strategic, are looking at the regulatory lens and some of the hurdles through a, you know, through a, you know, a tighter frame than they would have, they would have been a different administration at a different time. And so that's something we'll continue to watch. I don't expect a big change because of the midterm elections, but ultimately, you know, I think it's important scale matters in the world. We have to strike the right balance in the context of, you know, how we look at these things. But we want to make sure that American businesses are positioned well to compete in a global world. Excellent.
3: When I was here, the customer's always right. And that's always been the attitude. But I must ask you, is the customer right to spend a lot of money on crypto?
5: Crypto is a big word. And I, I realize I'm in the context, in that. I realize in the context of what you're asking, you're probably asking about cryptocurrencies. Jim, you and I have talked about this before. I think the technology is super interesting. I think there's a lot of room for disruption of our financial infrastructure to allow us to be able to move money with less friction, mm-hmm. uh, to create more accessible financial rails to give people more access to the banking system. I think there are lots of opportunities through that. We're spending a lot of time thinking about that. I'm watching, obviously, what's happened this week with FTX. I think cryptocurrencies are highly speculative. Um, I don't have a strong point of view as to the value of these. I think they're very speculative, and I think investors should be very cautious um, as we watch this, this, this sector and this infrastructure develop as we move well, forward.
3: Well, I mean, is this a time for Goldman? Now that it seems to be collapsing or you could say coming down, back down to earth, is this the time for Goldman to move in? and to be a stable force, a stable coin, or is that just not what
5: Goldman does? Well, there's there's an enormous amount of regulatory friction for banks to participate, regulated banks to participate in this ecosystem. Most of the activity in this ecosystem is outside of the regulatory banking system. There's obviously a significant discussion in Washington about how the regulatory infrastructure around a variety of these things, including tokens, stable coins, et cetera, should evolve. Certainly what's happened to FTX this week is only going to accelerate the focus on making sure we have a prudent regulatory structure for all these activities. It's going to be very, very important to make sure our regulatory structure protects individuals um, in in these markets. And I'm sure this week will bring more scrutiny and focus to that.
3: Where is Goldman in wealth management? I mean, I'm on the Apple call. Goldman's with, with the credit card. Goldman has Marcus. A lot of my friends are in Marcus. I, of course, have looked at all for the best rate at all times. Uh, but when I was worked here, I was told, "Listen, don't go in Don't uh, go on. after anyone who's got less than ten million dollars." What is the right place for Goldman in the firmament of wealth management?
5: Well, we have a broader wealth management platform than were you at when you were at the firm. You know, a number of decades ago, we of course have an extraordinary private wealth network for for very very wealthy people. That's been a core business to the firm. For a long time but we've expanded meaningfully and really it's through our access to employees in corporate environments you think about our relationships with corporates we've attracted more what i'd call high net worth mm-hmm. um, clientele to our wealth platform and also because we now have a deposit platform and people can leave right. deposits here etc we're finding ways through digital applications to help people with their financial wellness more broadly and so I think we'll continue to expand who we serve. But we generally are serving people that have some investable assets. Um, and so by definition, that's people that are a little bit further up the, um, the wealth chain. All right.
3: And last minute we have uh, Dave Koston, friend, put out a great piece every Sunday. He actually got a little negative on the market, got negative on where the S&P could be. Uh, you, everyone has their own view at Goldman. I always love that. But do you share the idea that perhaps next year could be a tougher year? Maybe the Fed should stop? this uh, what is as you and I both know huge percentage gain fed fed funds should they go slower should they be more concerned about what you see out there in the environment if they keep rolling like this
5: well I I think you said it before Jim the Fed has to be very data dependent and so I'm a student of the data I know that that the Fed will be a student of the data and I think the Fed's trajectory from here is going to depend on what the economy delivers with respect to David Coston, who I know cut his S&P earnings, his, his S&P earnings estimate, um, you know, I would say that David's view is more in line with my view when you, when you, when you look ahead to next year. Okay. I, I think in an environment with tightening economic conditions, um, you have to ultimately slow down economic growth to some degree, right. Right. not sitting here saying we're absolutely going to have a recession. And given that, given some of the constraints, and as I talk to most big companies, they're feeling margin pressure. And if you feel margin right, pressure and you have a slower economic environment, like there isn't. okay, then, then you probably have slower earnings growth. And so I'm not surprised that people are coming to a view that earnings growth could be slower or sluggish in 2023. The
3: last thing I going to say is uh, congratulations to the new partners. I absolutely love the fact that the partners look like the world. It's not like, yes, you said a few decades ago.
5: Salute. Well, thank thank you. We're very excited about our new partner class. It's the most diverse class we've ever had. Um, It it is a true representation of our people all over the world in 45 different countries. And, you know, still, Jim, and and I I know you know this, and I I made a bunch of calls yesterday to these new partners to congratulate them. It's a really aspirational thing. We're going to keep it that way, and it's something that's really special at Goldman Sachs. And it really helps us, you know, serve our clients well attract great people really really keep our organization strong
3: diversity veterans charity goldman sachs i i salute the way you've driven this company because these are all the values that we need to be good americans good citizens of the world david solomon chairman and CEO of goldman sachs thank Thank you you, david thank Thank you very much
5: much. jim really nice to be with you appreciate those comments back
3: Everything else is rocking. But the classic recession-proof stocks, they get hit on this, like today. As much as I like that cooler CPI reading, I don't think it's time to give up on these defensive names when they're well-run, like this one. Look at Campbell's Soup. It's down nearly 2% today. Trading just over 17 times earnings this year. Forecast with a nearly 3% dividend yield. I think you might be getting a buying opportunity. This stock has been a really fabulous one to own. Campbell's Soup also makes a point of hiring veterans. That's probably one of the reasons why it's so fabulous. And it's run by a West Point grad. So on the eve of Veterans Day, we are checking in with Mark Klaus. He's the president and CEO of Campbell Soup. to get a closer look at what his company does for vets and how he's doing it. Mr. Klaus, welcome back to Mad Buddy.
6: Hey, Jim. Great to see you.
3: All right. Well, first, Mark, uh, congratulations. You've had an incredible stock during a very, very difficult period. Now, I'm going to ask you point blank. Because I, want to, I do want to conflate your, your, let's say, your academy background with what you've had to do with Campbell's. When you came into Campbell's, frankly, it was a wreck. I don't want to actually point fingers, but you had to do some very tough actions. How often did you rely on what you learned when you were a captain and what you learned at the Academy to get this this company going right?
6: Yeah, well, it's it's a great question. And I I tell you, throughout my career, uh, I've leaned on those experiences uh, in a big way. Um, You know, as I say many times, there's really no other uh, organization or starting point where you get the experience of learning leadership better than starting in the military. And I think as you learn some of those lessons early on, they become incredibly valuable, especially when you're in moments in a tough environment or a tough set of circumstances where you've got to sift through a lot of complexity, make decisions uh, in a rapid way and, and keep an organization motivated and inspired while you're moving forward. And those are all uh, foundational experiences that the military in West Point provided. me. So uh, a lot in these last several years for well, many reasons.
3: Well, let's dig down. Uh, I want an outfit that you had bought bold, us, which was a fabulous salad dress. And it didn't fit in. But that's a tough thing. Once something's bought, it tends to have to stay bought. How did you have the guts to take care of what was really a very good product, but it didn't fit in, especially with that balance sheet?
6: Yeah, it's, you know, I tell you, those are tough decisions. And I think one of the hardest things to uh, draw a conclusion on is when you make a decision, that decision may not play out for a multitude of different reasons. And you have to make the decision. And the longer you wait to make decisions that you know you need to, uh, the worse they get. And I think for for us, and i was I was grateful to uh, have the support of the board and the organization alignment to do the things that we needed to do to really focus this portfolio. And you know, as I sit here three and a half years later, I am um, very happy to have the thirteen categories and two divisions, North America focused. It's proved to be very powerful uh, in the moment that we're in. and and as, as much as it was a hard decision, there were also a lot of great learnings that have helped us um, better position our brands and our business today. And I think one of the reasons that we're having the success that we are.
3: But I have seen uh, a Campbell's that has been muddled at times, a Campbell's with a not good balance sheet, which is rather shocking, a Campbell's with a lot of extraneous divisions. And then I see the Campbell's that you've built transparent, clear, clean with goals. I have to believe that's West Point.
6: Yeah, well, I certainly do agree that that one of the powerful uh, pieces of education while you're in the the military is this focus on keeping things very simple and clear so that the entire organization understands where you're going. And in the absence of a day-to-day communication, you know what you're expected to do and what's most important to the success of the organization. There is no doubt that that was foundational in the military and at West Point and has been very applicable in a moment like coming into the Campbell situation where the power of focus, I think, enabled us to really do the things that were necessary to have the impact on the business that we've had.
3: I have to believe that when you're in the Army, you learn supply chain because logistics is what, uh, look, Napoleon told us where armies run on. Uh, when you got <laughs> into the Campbell's job, did you realize, one, that we would have the logistical nightmare that, of course, the, the was COVID, But also, too, did you have the skill set better than your other compadres, I think, to figure out where the waste was and who was gouging you? Yeah, well,
6: I will say that that one of the skill sets that I think that that I got from the military that has consistently served me well is understanding and having clarity on the things that, you know, and the things that you don't know and making sure that you supplement the things you don't know with the right people around you and the expertise, so certainly uh, I felt well prepared to deal with a little bit um, of the challenge of the moment or the complexity of the moment. Um, but to navigate successfully through a period like we've been through, uh, you need to put the right people around you that have those skill sets uh, and capabilities to really complement what's a, perhaps a more well balanced view that I might have brought to the table.
3: I, I know I'm supposed to be wrapped, but I got to ask you this. I think that there are people who recognize when you took the job, and I was one of them, I was skeptical, balance sheet awful, I thought they wrecked the company. There's something about your training, or maybe it's just your persona, of hope and not an optimism that you would get this done. And I have to believe that your training made that and reinforced it so that you stuck with this thing to what I regard as being pretty great success.
6: Well, I, I appreciate that, Jim. I, you know, it's, As you know, it is a team effort and an organization that gets these jobs done. But I will say um, one of the big learnings in the military is that if you're not bringing the energy and passion and belief, it's hard to ask your soldiers to do the same thing. And I think in this particular case, we needed that permission to be confident again in the businesses that we had. As I say many times, uh, the iconic fabric of the nation businesses we had, with tremendous talent and capability in our organization, was a formula or a hand I would take any day of the week. And keeping that energy and passion high throughout the process, I think, makes a big difference. And if I can't show up that way, how am I asking anybody else to?
3: Well, it's sure working. And it's working. Not every day is going to be like today. There's a lot of bad days. And on those days, I see Campbell's go up I want to thank Mark Klaus. He's Campbell Soup Company president and CEO. He said things. He laid out challenges on the show, and he beat them. That money's back after the break. Before we start tonight's lightning round, I want to take a moment to thank all active duty service members, veterans, and even military families for the sacrifices they make to defend our country. So tonight we're taking calls from service members from all over the country. So now it is time for the lightning round (laughs) of Kramer's Mad Money. That's where I take your calls and they're rapid fire. One after another, you say the name of the stock, I tell you whether to buy, buy, buy or sell, sell. Just to be clear, I do not know the course or stock questions at the time. My staff prepares the graphics on the fly. When you hear the sound, the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the lightning round on Kramer's Mad Money. I'm gonna start with Buck in Virginia. Buck.
1: Booyah, Professor Kramer. I'm one of the thousands uh,
3: booyah, of people. who. I'd be one of the thousands of people that stand in line just to shake your hand and say thanks for all that you've done for us. I was able to Man, retire. I, needed, I mean, I know this sounds bad, but I needed to hear it. <laughs> I'm glad. But I was you. able thank to retire
6: you. years earlier thanks to your stage advice. My question has to do with AMD. I've been a fan of Lisa Sue ever since she took over in 2014 and several months ago you mentioned that it's going to have to be a blowout at the end of uh, 2022. Do you still see that happening and when are we going to hit those 2021 highs again?
3: Well, I'll tell you, I think it's going to be hard because there's been such a slowdown in their end markets, certainly not Lisa Sue's fault. She's been putting out the just the best chips in the world other than NVIDIA. We've cut the position back for Line uh, Travel Trust, some much higher and some lower, and we're happy and content to leave the rest and let it run up $8 today. And thank you for the kind words. Please join the club. I think you get more wisdom that way. Let's go to Michelle in Georgia. Michelle. Hi.
0: How are you, Jim? Thanks for having me. Uh,
3: Ah, thank you for calling, Michelle. What's going on?
0: So, I'd like to ask about a healthcare stock I'm currently looking at called Medtronic. I'd like to get your input. I'm confused
3: about Medtronic personally. It's a great franchise, it does not be sued. doing very well right now. And therefore I can't recommend it. I'd like to I'd like to know what Jeff Martha's going to do to try to get it so the company's back on track. It's been disappointment after disappointment, disappointment. There are many better healthcare stocks out there. Let's go to Michael in Maine. Michael.
1: Booyah Jim, this super secret yacht club keeps making fun of me. Am I a bing bong
6: here? I'm calling about Activision Blizzard.
3: I actually think that Activision Blizzard on its own right at this point could be worth what it's selling for, and therefore I no longer advocate that you should sell it. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round! The Lightning Round is sponsored
4: by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, lessons from a crypto crisis that could have been much worse. Kramer explains why the best defense is to just stay put. Next.
3: All right, get this, last night, lots of tons, tons of very smart, of course, very rich people contacted me, texted me, to warn me that our financial system is about to collapse because it has real exposure to the crypto meltdown. And that would happen today. Now, these are earnest, wealthy souls who want me to get you out of the stock market before the Sam Bankman freeds of the world take us for everything we're worth. They think the carnage at FTX, the crypto exchange, is what they always say, a Lehman Brothers moment. Now, many of these guys are generally much smarter and certainly a lot wealthier than I am. But I'm not as worried about crypto collapse contagion as these richer betters, and I'll tell you why. First, Lehman was a disaster because our leaders dropped the ball. They deliberately decided to do nothing. They thought that was the right thing to do. The people in charge now live through that moment. Think about what happened when the pandemic broke out. Given the nature of COVID, it seemed inevitable that we'd get hit with a wave of bankruptcies. Cruise lines were toast, airlines were finished, restaurants were dead on arrival. We hit nearly 15% unemployment practically overnight. Except j Powell didn't want that. He knew he had the power to get money into the system and keep these companies alive. Same goes for then-Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin. He didn't want to leave a moment. Neither did Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi. Even though there were polar opposites politically, they both worked tirelessly to create programs that bailed out the whole economy. Sure, there were errors. Some people got bailed out who they shouldn't. Things were done in haste. But look, they averted an economic catastrophe. I don't think crypto can crush the whole economy. If it could, though, neither the Fed nor our elected leaders would let it happen. The crypto collapse is a bad reason to sell your stocks because because of the Lehman moment and the lessons that moment taught our policymakers. Don't believe me? Go read my great friend Bob Pisani's book, Shut Up and Keep Talking, where you got page after page of data about what happens when you panic because of things like this and flip in and out of stocks, causing you to miss out on very big up days like this one. These periodic pan- panics are not rare occurrences. Eleven years ago, we witnessed something terrifying. The downgrade of U.S. debt because of political theater gone awry. If you go back and look at the coverage of the debt ceiling, you'd think we were about to lose our life savings. It was horrendous. I'd keep a copy in a drawer just so I can see how bad the media can be. The stock market plunged 19% into the negativity. I remember going to watch the Philadelphia Eagles practice. And at the end, I was bombarded by players asking if it was time to go into cash. I told them absolutely not, that it was ridiculous. I said my biggest worry was that they would sell and miss the inevitable giant rally once Washington sorted out its ridiculous non problem Sure enough, if you bailed on the market in 2011, you missed one of the greatest runs of all time. Now, there are moments where the whole system is genuinely at risk. We had one indeed in 2008 when Lehman went under. But what made that moment so horrible was the lack of regulation, the cluelessness of the financial CEOs, and the government's total unwillingness to lift a finger in order to stop an obvious train wreck. We had a Lehman moment because the Fed and the Treasury Secretary and the SEC blessed it. They let it happen. To go full circle, I can't remember many rich people telling me that a downturn is a great time to buy stocks. I'm instead dealing with what I call the Apple effect. They want to trade you. They want to trade it, not invest Unlike me, they can make their moves privately, which means they never seem to make the mistakes. At the same time, nobody in this business ever gets punished for being too negative. So it would be very easy for me to come out last night and warn you that Sam Bankman-Fried was going to pull down the rest of the financial world with his idiocy. But I just didn't see how that was possible. I know these crypto clowns have caused an immense amount of pain for some, but I don't think it'll hurt you as long as you don't have any crypto exposure. When it comes to the stock market, my advice is simple. Stay invested so that you don't miss out on incredible days like today. What mattered to this market today was the CPI, not the FTX. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise i would find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow.
2: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do.